Hello, this is the Buddhism Guide podcast, and I'm Kami Yeshi Rabge. You can find more of my podcasts, as well as blogs, videos, and guided meditation practices at buddhismguide.org. If you wish, you can support future episodes of this podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhism Guide. I hope you enjoy this podcast. This episode is called 37 Practices, Part 12. And in this episode, I'll talk about verses 31 through to 34. So, verse 31 says, The practice of all the Bodhisattvas is to scrutinize oneself continually, to rid oneself of faults, whatever they appear. For unless one checks carefully to find one's own confusion, one might appear to be practicing Dharma, but act against it. So what this is saying is that we should look at our own conduct. It's a warning to us, really, that we should be looking at our own conduct, not looking at other people's conduct. Because, you know, maybe on the outside it appears that, you know, we're on a spiritual path and... You know, we're looking quite impressive. But inside, we're full of uh, delusion still. It's easy for us, or it seems to be easy for us, to see everybody else's fault, to notice everybody else's conduct. But it seems to be quite difficult for us to notice our own conduct and notice our own shortcomings. So the problem when we look at everybody else and we're looking at theirs, we're just denying ourselves our own problems and we'll never sort them out. You know, if we're going to try to pretend we don't have any problems or we, you know, we don't want to face up to our problems, then they're just going to grow. They can never change by being ignored. We can only change when we understand that, okay, I'm going through this problem or I have this uh, destructive emotion keeps coming back regularly, I have to deal with it. The warning is to us that if we don't deal with these things, then we may say that we're on a spiritual path and on the outside it looks like we are, but inside we're not changing at all. Then there's no benefit. The spiritual path is a path that is an inward journey. It's not an outward journey. It's not going from A to B. It's looking inside and looking at yourself and looking at what faults do I have? What things do I need to work on? What destructive emotions are there? Which are the most powerful emotions that I have that I need to look at? So we need to be looking inside and not worrying about other people's. You know, their conduct is their conduct and they have to work it out themselves. You know, by you gossiping about them, by you saying to them that they've got this problem, you know, it's not going to help them. First, we have to look at ourselves. So we have to be truthful to ourselves. And this is another thing that we find very difficult, to be honest with ourselves. You know, we don't like to admit we have faults, but, you know, we're human beings. We all have faults. We all have good points, but we all have points that aren't so good. You know, when we're looking at our conduct, we should look at the points that are good 
because it helps reinforce those points. But we should most definitely look at the points where we need to change. Because once you find that there's this, so say that you've always been an angry person, you always have this anger, then you need to look at that. Because just by saying, oh yeah, I've always been angry, it's not going to help. It's not going to get rid of the anger. We need to look at it, be honest with ourselves. Yes, I have this fault. I have this anger. And I'm always getting angry too quickly. And it always ends up bad. So what should I do? So then you need to look. How can I control this anger? How can I work with it? How can I let the anger go? And so I have more control over it instead of letting it have control over me. But we can only do that when we're honest with ourselves and honestly say to ourselves that I have this problem. You know, we don't have to say to anybody, you don't have to say to your teacher, you don't have to say to a god, you don't have to say to a friends or parents or anybody. You have to be honest with yourself. It's not about going out and telling people, oh yeah, I have all these faults. That's not going to help. We need to be honest with ourselves. What are our faults? What are the things we need to be working on? And work on them. Looking outside, we look impressive that we're on a spiritual path. We need to look impressive inside that we're actually doing something on this spiritual path. Sitting down, doing meditation, going to teachings, going to the temple, making offerings. All these are outside things. We need to go inside. We need to look inside ourselves. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go and make offerings and go to temples and go to teachings. But what I'm saying is that they are just part of it. They're just the outside part of it. What is happening inside? That's the key. What happens outside is not going to change you. So the spiritual path is not just an outside thing. It's an inside thing. And you have to be impressive outside and inside. Then the next verse, verse 32, says, The practice of all the bodhisattvas is never to speak ill of others who have embarked upon the great vehicle. For if, under the influence of destructive emotions, I speak of other bodhisattvas' failings, it is I who am at fault. So here it's about speaking ill will of other people who are bodhisattvas, other people who are on the path to awakening. So, like I've said many times before, we can only see what people want us to see. We can only see what people show us. So we have no idea what is going on inside people. So you may think that that uh, man on the street who's begging is just that, he's just a beggar. But maybe he's on the street and he's working on himself. And when he sits there quietly, maybe he's looking at himself. Maybe he's meditating. He's changing inside. How do we know? We don't know. We judge. We just see them. It's a beggar. We either give them a bit of money or we ignore them. But we don't know what is going on inside. Who is that person? You know, there are many people who can teach us things. They're not just teachers and professors and that. Look at the people on the street, how they live their life. They can teach us. In the slum areas, you have a look at the children. How they have nothing, but they have a, a piece of stick or a, 
a, um, a football that has no air in it. And they run around and they laugh and have great fun. And you go to a rich area where they have everything, BMWs and everything they want, and they're miserable. So we can learn from all different types of people. It's not just learning from a teacher, learning from a book. We learn from looking around ourselves. But while we're looking around, we have to be careful that we're not judging. You know, you're not judging that beggar on the street. Because he may be a teacher. He may, if you look carefully, he may understand something. They think, oh, okay, so this is how we should be. Or this is not how I want to be. But we shouldn't be categorizing people that, you know, I can learn from them and I can't learn from them. We should look to not say ill words about anybody, anybody at all. Not even have ill thoughts about anybody. The problem with having um, bad thoughts about people is that our thoughts turn into actions. So if you're going to just constantly think bad about people, then of course your actions are going to go in that direction. They're going to be bad actions. So we have to be really careful that we're not criticizing people because we don't know them. We don't know people's backstory. The beggar on the street, what led to that? Who knows? There are people on the street who choose to be on the street. They want to live that life. They want to live the most simplest life. There's people who don't want to be on the street. You know, we can't judge people. We can't look at them and think we know them. And it's another trait that we have as human beings. We look, and because of our bias, because of our discrimination, because of the way we've been brought up, we judge and we criticise. But we don't actually know who are we judging then? Who is that person I'm criticising? They could be a great teacher and you have no idea and you've just criticised a great person. You just criticise and judge somebody who could have taught you something in life. So we have to be really, really careful that we're not thinking and saying bad things about anybody because we don't know them. We don't know their past story, what led to them being here today. We know nothing about them. The person you live with, you can live with them for 20, 30 years. You don't know them. You only know what they're going to show you. So how can we go out and judge and criticise people when we have no idea? And really, truthfully, if you look, do you know yourself? Do you fully understand yourself and know everything about yourself? I don't think so. So how come we have time then to criticise other people when we've not even got to be able to understand who am I? So we have to be really careful that we don't have bad thoughts and bad feelings towards anybody. Don't judge and don't criticise because we don't know who they are. So the next verse, verse 33. The practice of all the bodhisattvas is to let go of attachment to the households of benefactors and of family and friends. Since one study, reflection and meditation will all diminish when one quarrels and competes for honours and rewards. So many times through these 37 practices we've spoken about attachment. And the reason for that is that our biggest problem in life is attachment. Attachment to people, attachment to ourselves, 
attachment to our possessions. We get attached to everything. Here it's talking about being attached to the family life, to family and friends. So, of course, it's difficult, this one, because we live in a family. We have a family unit. But if you look carefully, this family unit is always put out as being a strong thing. You know, everybody should have a good family unit. But if you look at families, what does it bring up? It brings up pride. It brings up jealousy. In some instances, it brings up hatred. It brings up discrimination. It brings up indifference. Sometimes we don't care either way. It brings up so many different emotions living in a family unit. So if you want to be 100% on the path, then you have to leave that family unit. Of course, nobody uh, wants to rush off unless they become a monk or something. You know, when you become a monk, you leave your family unit. You leave it behind. Because, you know, you can't stay in a family and be 100% spiritual. It's impossible. And if you decide to get married, you have responsibilities. If you decide then when you're married to have children, you have even more responsibilities. So those responsibilities come over the top of your spirituality. And I'm not saying that's wrong because you've decided to have a wife and husband and children. So then you have responsibility. But the responsibility for them is going to come before your spiritual journey. So before people get married, they should think carefully. Is that what I want? If it's a spiritual life they want, they don't have to become a monk or a nun, but they certainly have to leave the family home and they have to not get married and have children. But if you are going to have children and get married, then you have to understand that you can't 100% be on the spiritual path. And it will take so much longer for you to have an awakened mind, to have a mind that sees the world as it really is. It's choices. We have choices in life. So what this one uh, verse is saying here is that if you are going to stay in the family unit, then all these emotions are going to come up. And then you're going to be attached to that family unit. You're going to have arguments with them. You're going to have jealousy. You're going to have pride. There's going to be all these strong emotions coming up. So if you don't want that and you want to concentrate on the spiritual life, you have to leave the family unit. It doesn't mean you ignore the family unit. It just means you don't live with them. And then you, vi you can visit them. You can talk to them. But you don't get involved in the whole, he said this, she said that. Because, you know, once you're in a family unit, then it always splits off the... These are saying this and then you have to pick sides in an argument and it becomes really difficult. And then it becomes, you know, impossible to be on a, a true 100% spiritual path. Because you're in, you've been drawn into arguments, you've been drawn into things that you don't want to be drawn into. So we have choices in life. And you either choose to go down the family route or you choose to go fully down the spiritual route. If you go down the family route, you can still be spiritual, but it can't be 100%. You can change, you can work on yourself, but there are going to be times when you can't sit and meditate because you, your child is sick or you have to go to work. 
the mortgage needs paying, whatever. Their responsibilities. So they have to come first. You're not going to leave your child sick and say, no, because I need to meditate. Nobody is going to do that. Where's the compassion in that? So you have a child, you have to look after that child. So then they come before your spirituality. So I'm not telling everybody to run off and become a monk or a nun. I'm just saying that we have choices in life. And we have to decide how much are we going to get involved in our spiritual path. The choice is yours. But we have to understand that attachment to family is going to be one real difficult part on the spiritual path. It's going to stop you or it's certainly going to slow you down on the spiritual path. And the next verse, verse 34, says, The practice of all the bodhisattvas is to avoid harsh words which others might find unpleasant or distasteful, since abusive language upsets the minds of others and thereby undermines a bodhisattva's conduct. So here he's talking about harsh words or right speech, the appropriate speech. You know, words can be really, really cutting. You can hit somebody and it will hurt and the pain will eventually go. But you can say some horrible, cruel, cutting words to people and it can stay for years. I'm sure everybody can think of a time many, many years ago where somebody said something and it has stayed with you. Those words stay with you. Maybe it's, you know, a parent has said to a child and that child has grown up, but those words are still there, still in their mind. So we must be so careful about the words we use, what we say to people. Here it's just talking about harsh words, but really we should look at the whole of uh, the communication of words. Lying is not going to help people. You know, gossiping or idle talk doesn't help people. Using divisive speech, trying to split people into groups, doesn't help people. You know, we must be so careful. We must think before we speak. And this is where mindfulness comes in. Because when we're mindful, we can respond to a situation. Because we're present in that moment. We understand what's going on, so I'll respond to it. And we can think, no, I'm not going to say these words. They're cruel. They're going to harm somebody. And if they harm somebody, by return, they're going to harm you. They're going to disturb your mind. So when we're mindful, we can pick out the words we want to use and make sure the words we use are helpful words. We can respond good to a situation. But when we're not being mindful, when we're being led by our unconscious mind, then that's when we start to use harsh words. You know, as I said just a minute ago about being an angry person. So part of being an angry person is saying harsh words. You know, when you're angry, these harsh words come out. But they come out from your unconscious mind. It's not that you're thinking, I'm going to say that to that person. You say that, there's no awareness because it's from unconscious mind. And once you've said them, once the words come out your mouth, then the awareness comes in and then you think, oh, I shouldn't have said it. But at that point, it's too late. You know, once you've put those words out there, you can apologise. But that apology is not going to stay in the mind of the people. 
those words will stay in the mind of the people. If you said something really harsh and horrible to somebody, that will stay in their mind. Not afterwards you say, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean that. They will not stay in the mind. The actual harsh words will stay. So we have to be careful that we don't use those harsh words. We don't, you know, idly gossip about and, you know, say horrible things behind people's back or lie to people or use divisive speech. I mean, the whole thing we have to look at. And, you know, while we're talking about communication, we can put the written word into this now because the written word is, is so much more powerful now we have social media and the internet. All you have to do is go on to somebody's Twitter feed and just read. Somebody puts in something that they felt that was true, you know, that the way they were feeling, and then just read the horrible, vile things that people put underneath. Even you reading an online newspaper, somebody will put horrible things about people. So again, we have to be careful that, you know, whatever we write... It can't harm anybody. If it's going to harm somebody, then don't write it. If it's going to be constructive and helpful, then good. But if it isn't, then don't do it. Because it's just going to cause problems for other people and problems for yourself. When anger comes, it comes quickly. And when we read something on social media, we have a quick reaction to it. We shouldn't just quickly react. We should wait and think about it for like a minute or two and then think okay yeah it's not worth doing and then we won't do but nowadays people just think because social media is anonymous they can just say exactly what they like about anybody or about anything and you know it's social media is good and i use social media a lot but these days people just think they have to have an opinion on everything everything whereas before you just read it okay and move on. Now we can't just read it. Now we have to read it and then we have to comment on it. We have to say something, whether it's good or bad. But that's not how it should be. So we have to be mindful of the way we talk and we have to be mindful of the way that we write things, what we're saying, what we're writing. Because if they're harming somebody, then of course it's no good for your mind. It's going to disturb your mind. And many of these 37 practices have been about your mind, about disturbing your mind, making sure that you don't disturb that mind. Because if you're on the spiritual path and your mind is disturbed, then you're never going to see the path clearly. A disturbed mind is like a bucket of water with mud all mixed up together. You can't see where's the mud, where's the water, it's all mixed. So that's a disturbed mind. A mind that isn't disturbed, you just leave that water and that mud and the mud will just go right to the bottom of the bucket and the water will become clear on top. That's a mind that's not disturbed. That's what we should be aiming for, an undisturbed mind. But we're never going to get that if we're saying horrible things about people or writing horrible things about people. This is the end of this podcast, but don't forget, you can find more of my podcasts at buddhismguide.org. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, bye.